Amen. I want to show you a picture taken by the very gifted Michael Harbour. Michael Harbour, minister over at uh, Fourth and Elm Church of Christ and a good friend. And uh, he took this photo. This scene probably looks somewhat familiar to you. Can you believe we get to live here? We complain about it, but what a beautiful place. Um, and, and we, uh, uh, there's some of our leadership here, there's a conference that we go to every year. It's just been really encouraging and, 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 and meaningful for us. And, and one year we were shown a similar picture and we were asked the question, is this a sunrise or a sunset? So I ask you, hopefully nobody in the first service gave you the answer, but um, this is a sunrise or a sunset? Audience participation, what do we think? This is, unless Michael is lying to me, and I don't think he would do that, this is a sunrise. This is a Nolan County sunrise. And, uh, and the reason that that's important is if it's a sunrise, then this is the beginning of a new day with new opportunities that we can seize. If it's a sunset, then it's a day that's, uh, that's, that's at its close. And so if it's a sunrise, it's a beginning. If it's a sunset, it's an ending. And, and uh, this picture is a picture of a, of a Nolan County sunrise, a new day dawning full of possibilities and hope and meaning and opportunity. And I share this photo because I want us to think about another question, and that is, is the sun rising or setting on your life? Is the sun rising or setting on the church? You may be looking at your life, and you may be, uh, 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 you may be young, you may be old, you, you may be somewhere in between, but you may be looking at your life and thinking that the best has passed you by. You may be looking at your life, maybe you might be in high school thinking that there's nothing better than this. You may be middle-aged, you may be in your golden years, but you may think that all the opportunities for joy and goodness and service have passed you by. You may think that because you've done this or that, that the, 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 that the best has come and gone. Um, the, 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 and, and if that's what you believe, then the sun, you might think that the sun is setting on your life. Those of us within the church and, and those outside the church might be looking at the church and saying, are the best days and years of the church behind her? Uh, has the church ceased to, to be a meaningful uh, group, a meaningful community in this world? Is, does the church, has the church's message become irrelevant? Have we ceased to be this world-transforming movement? Do we belong like in a museum with all the other dusty, irrelevant stuff? Is the sun setting on your life? Is the sun setting on the church? Or is the sun just coming up? Is there a new day dawning and are we just getting started? And this is important because if you imagine that the sun is setting on your life, or if you imagine that the sun is rising on your life, that's going to drastically impact how you live your life. If you believe that the sun is setting on the church and our best days are behind us, that's going to, that's going to radically affect how you view what we do. But if you believe the sun's rising, if you believe that God's just getting started, then that's going to drastically impact how you view what we do. And this is important. So I believe that the book of Acts is still unfolding. Wherever there's men, women, children who will cry out to God in faith, wherever there's men, women, children who will yield to Christ in obedience, wherever there's men, women, and children who will cry out for a movement of God's Spirit, I believe that God's story is still unfolding throughout this world. And I believe we have biblical and gospel-grounded hope that the sun is rising in your life today. Whatever age you are, whatever stage you are, however old you are, however, however young you are, we have biblical and gospel-grounded hope that the sun is rising in your life today. We have biblical and gospel-grounded hope that the sun is rising today on the bride of Christ. But before we can experience a sunrise, we have to experience a sunset. And both are beautiful. But sometimes we have to experience the closing 
of old habits, old patterns, old behaviors that we have clung to for too long in order that the new day might dawn and we might experience the new life. Sometimes the old ways have to die in order to experience the new. And dying to that old is what the Bible calls repentance. And the gospel calls us whatever age to turn from sinful patterns in repentance and turn to him in trust. He calls us to repent and believe. And so I want to talk today about two practices. We're going to talk today about two practices that I believe can take us by God's grace out of the quicksand of just doing what we can accomplish on our own. And these practices will empower us to step into the life-giving flow of God's unconditional love and unlimited power. And I believe that practicing prayer and confession will determine whether the sun is rising or setting in your story. Practicing prayer and confession will determine whether the sun is rising or setting in your story. James 5.13 Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him or her sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently. It might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. All right, so James has, has written this action-packed letter where he pulls no punches. This is the letter where he told us that faith without works is dead. Um, and he closes this letter with this invitation, with this appeal to step out of the flow of what we can accomplish in our own strength and to step into the flow of God's love and God's power. We've been saying throughout this whole series that life comes into focus as we refocus on Jesus. And we've been talking about the things that love does. And James here says that love confesses its sin to one another. And that love prays for one another. And that God, who is love, as we're a people who confess and who pray, God, who is love, does this amazing work of healing. As we do what we can do, we confess and pray. God steps in and does what only he can do. He works emotional, spiritual, mental, relational, even physical healing in our lives. So James has, has emphasized throughout his letter action. Again, he said faith without works is dead. And then he closes with prayer. And I believe he, he wants us to see that the most powerful and the most important work that we do is the work of prayer. For James, prayer isn't an excuse to avoid the work. Because let's face it, today if somebody says, I'll pray about it, what's that mean? I ain't going to do it, but I want to sound spiritual. I'll pray about it has become Christian lingo for I have no intention of doing that but I want to sound really spiritual. Am I too harsh, Will? You're the wrong person to ask if that's too harsh. Hey, and, and do we need to pray about it? Yeah. But, but prayer for James isn't. Prayer for James isn't an excuse to not do the work. Prayer is the work. In a life of service, and love flows out of this life of prayer. We're called to be a people that prayer is the work and kingdom work flows out of that. And so is the sun rising or setting on your story? Let's, uh, let's, let's dive in. The first person that, J that James talks to, he says, if you're suffering, the one who is suffering, pray. If you're suffering, pray. And that, that word suffering is a big umbrella term. That might refer to um, 
persecution. You might be suffering persecution in, in James's day for, for your faith. It may be physical suffering like, like sickness. It might be emotional anguish or mental pain. It might be a financial struggle. It might be a, a, a relational struggle in marriage or parenting or singleness or whatever. But when we suffer, we're tempted to feel like we're all alone. Anybody? When we suffer, we're tempted to feel very isolated. And we're tempted to feel like I'm the only one who's ever experienced what I'm experiencing right now. And so suffering and struggle can be isolating. But not only isolating, suffering um, can, can make us feel something that we hate feeling. Suffering, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, whether it's health, whether it's uh, relational, whatever, suffering can make us feel very powerless. Who enjoys feeling powerless? We hate it. We hate it. And so when we suffer and we can't fix it, what that often does to us, how we often respond to that is, well, I can't fix my son who's addicted, or I can't fix my, 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 uh, my husband who's, uh, who's addicted, or I, I, can't, I can't fix this financial situation. Whatever it may be, if we can't fix this area where we're suffering, what we often do is we clamp down on another area of our life and we try to control that. You see this in children. Children who come from environments where they've experienced powerlessness often try to control their environment. But big people do this every single day, don't we? And so I can't control this over here, so I'm going to control this part of my life. And James is saying, James is saying, instead of clenching your fists in control when you're suffering, what if you open up your fists? What if you open up your hands and said, God, I need you to do something in here that only you can do? What if you step out of the quicksand of what you can accomplish and you step into this flow of what only God can do? And what, we, what happens as we pray is we join with saints from past, present, future. We join with saints that are around the throne of God and we come to realize that we weren't alone in our suffering. You're not the only person. There's probably 10 people in this church who are going through something very similar to what you're going through, much less around the world. Suffering uh, uh, is not something that's, um, that's unique to any of us. It's something that everybody experiences, and you're not alone when you pray. You join with all the saints, but not only that, you have this opportunity in prayer to unclench your fists. When, when, when I was a kid, uh, my dad took my sister and I, one of my sisters and I, tubing down the Guadalupe River, and I'm sure he regretted that decision every Allison it was Allison and me and, and I'm sure he regretted this decision because the, the the water was moving pretty good and as soon as we would get like a couple of feet away from him we would start to like scream and cry we were probably too old to be acting that way but but we were so afraid we were just going to get swept away that we couldn't enjoy the ride and we and my dad just worked himself to death just paddling back and forth across the river and grabbing us and catching up with us and holding on to us and 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 and, and what if we had just let go and let the river take us where it wanted to go. And so many of us, were living our lives that way. We're just paddling, paddling, paddling so hard. And we're trying to do everything on our own. And we're just wearing everybody else out around us. And God's just like, man, just jump in the flow, man. Jump in the flow of what I'm doing. And in prayer, that's what we do. We step into the flow of God's, of God's power and God's love. And as you do that in prayer, your suffering may not be removed. But it can be transformed. And you're certainly going to be transformed. Suffering asks, God, where are you in this? The Psalms give us a great vocabulary. I don't like what you're doing. I don't understand it. I'm confused about it. But God, where are you? What are you doing? I want to see your hands in this. I want to see your face in this. Will you move in me in this suffering? Will you transform me in the suffering? So there's the prayer of suffering. Then James moves to the prayer of celebration. He says, if things are going great for you, praise God. Praise him. Why does James tell us that? 
I believe James has this really keen understanding of humanity. And I've got this really ugly thing in my heart. And that ugly thing is that when things are going great, I start thinking it's because I'm great. Anybody? Not like that you see that in me, but like you see that when you, that person, <laughs> yeah, man. When things are going great, I start thinking I'm great. When, and, and, and when things are going, like you're in, the, you're in the restaurant and your kids are acting great and somebody else's kids across the, across the, across the restaurant are throwing a fit and you're thinking, well, I guess they should just, maybe I should teach a parenting class, you know, I don't know, I'm just, I'm doing pretty good. And then you're not thinking about the time that your kid had a meltdown earlier that day or two, you know, and so we're so tempted to look for this data that says, hey, I'm great. And when things are going, when things are going great, we're, we're, so tempted to, we're so tempted to take the credit and arrogance creeps in. And so James says, man, when things are going great, praise the one that's great. Man, when things are going great, um, uh, keep your hands open. Keep your hearts open. Be humble and joyful rather than arrogant and controlling. And then he gives us this prayer for the sick. This comes a time that because sin has entered this world, I don't think James is saying here that Every time you have a cold or flu or cancer, it's because you have specifically sinned. But he, he connects sin and sickness because sin wouldn't, or sickness wouldn't be in the world if it, if it wasn't for sin. Sin brought sickness into the world. And so he says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and pray over you. Now, call other people too. Obviously, we're, the, the New Testament is clear. We can all pray for each other. But there comes a point where maybe it's like, man, I need the pastoral leaders of the church. I'm, I'm bad sick, okay? I need the pastoral leaders of the church to come and, and anoint me with oil and pray over me. And, and the oil isn't magical. You'll see us anoint with oil here from time to time, and the oil's not magical. The oil is a symbol of God's spirit. The oil is a reminder that God is with you, and God has plans for you, and God loves you, and, and you're not by yourself. Um, we're, 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 it's a picture of God's presence in your life. And, and, and so he says, pray for the one that's sick, and they will be healed. They will be raised up. So what do we do with that? Has your, has your success ratio of praying for the sick been 100%? Anybody? Um, man, I, I've, I've seen, I've prayed for, for sick people and, 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 and seen them get better and seen them healed. I've even seen some miracles in my life. Um, but I've also prayed for people to get well that, that die. And so um, I've got to remember that when I go to pray for somebody sick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray in faith. I'm going to pray for healing. That's the only way I know how to pray. I'm going to pray boldly for healing. But I'm also going to trust that I don't make management decisions, right? I'm going to trust that God is ultimately the one who makes these decisions. I'm going to pray in faith, but then I'm going to accept God's answer. So some are healed this side of death, some on the other side, but every believer will eventually be raised up because Jesus was raised up. And then if, if, if you don't relate to the prayer for the suffering or the sinful or, or the prayer of celebration or the, the prayer for the suffering or the celebration or for the sick, um, all of us can identify with this last one. That's the prayer for the sinful. Because maybe you make it through your life without anything that's, that causes you to suffer. Maybe you make it through your life without ever getting sick. But none of us make it through this deal without sinning, without, without falling into sin's trap. And so James is going to address the most universal human issue. Everybody still alive? Still awake? Okay. Um, and he says, confess your sin to one another. What verse are we in? Verse 15. Uh, excuse me, verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So he says, confess your sin to one another. There's that one another phrase that we've, we've come in contact with throughout this series. One of the things that love does is love humbly confesses when it fails, even though that's painful. 
even though that feels rough, even though it's scary. And then love prays. It says, confess your sin for one, with to one another, pray for one another. And then it says, God steps in and does this amazing work of healing. Now, the New Testament is clear that we don't confess our sins to each other to get forgiveness. We, we take our sin to God. And God is faithful and just to forgive us. We don't go to a human to get forgiveness. But James is here saying there's something that happens as you share your burdens and your weakness. As you share your burdens and your weakness with a few trusted fellow believers. If you take that thing that you've been carrying around for days, weeks, months, or decades. And you lay it out amongst a trusted group of, of Christian community. He says something amazing happens. Healing happens. Um, restoration happens. All right. And so to confess, that word confess means to admit or to declare the truth. Dallas Willard says confession is to let trusted others know our deepest weaknesses and failures to nourish our faith in God's loving provision for our needs. And so stay with me. The picture here is of ordinary, everyday Christians who are just sitting in community, two, three, more, and they're confessing their sin to one another and praying for one another. Picture you're having coffee with a couple of friends and somebody says, hey, I know this is kind of deep, but I've got this struggle that I can't just hold back anymore. One person courageously speaks the truth. I failed in my struggle with, with porn. I'm, I'm falling back into my addiction to alcohol. I'm, uh, man, I'm, 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 I'm going back to my workaholism. I'm, I'm, I'm failing in this battle with gossip or rage. And my marriage is suffering. My, parent is, my parenting is suffering. My finances are suffering. And, and that may happen in your life group. That may happen in regen or reengage. That may happen over coffee, like I say, with a couple of friends. But it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen in a relationship marked by trust and vulnerability. And if you have unconfessed sin in your life, the path towards healing is confession. And so ordinary Christians that hear this, wow, you're struggling with this. Wow, you have failed in this. James says, what's the first thing you do? If somebody confesses their struggle, their weakness, their burden, their sin to you, what do you do? He says, he says pray for them. He doesn't say, you know, respond with, wow, you are one pathetic loser. I mean, that's not how we respond to that. We don't respond that. We don't respond even immediately with advice. Well, you know, it's time that you do this. He says, you gather around. Listen, you gather around that struggling brother or sister, and you call heaven in. You cry out to Almighty God and pray. And then as I do my job of confessing my sin, you do your job of praying for me, then God does his job of bringing about a work of healing that may happen instantaneously. It may happen over a period of weeks, months, or years. But as believers... Again, we confess to God for forgiveness, but there's healing that happens as we confess to one another. And, and, you know, there's things, if we're honest, that you've been confessing to God for weeks, months, years, decades, right? And it's easy to play games with God. It's easy to make promises that we have no intention of keeping. And so God, in His love and in His grace and in His mercy, has put people in our lives that are flawed, that are imperfect, that are messed up. Which is fellow travelers in our lives that we can confess our sins to him for forgiveness and then confess our sins to one another and have people walking alongside us. They can hear our pain, can hear our failure, can hear our truth, but then speak the deeper truth of the gospel. Let me remind you who you really are. You're God's child. The sin isn't who you are. You're God's child. You have a new identity. We're going to walk alongside you. We're going to pray for you. 
Everything isn't fixed yet. There's battle ahead. But at this point, shame has lost its power. Sin has lost its grip. Psalm 32.3 says, When I was silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning. Unconfessed sin traps us in shame. Unconfessed sin weakens our hunger for God. Unconfessed sin over time makes us a grumbler. The, the, the psalmist said, man, I just kept groaning. You see a grumbler, you see a complainer, you see somebody who's groaning all the time. That's somebody trying to live from their own righteousness. And we're, and we're not doing a good job at it. When I'm groaning, when I'm, a mum, when I'm a grumbler, when I'm a complainer, that's evidence that I have unconfessed sin in my life and I'm trying to live from my own righteousness and it's not working. I've had at least three people this week share with me the freedom and the joy they found as they sat down with people they trusted and confessed, man, I've been carrying this thing around in my stomach for years. Here it is. And they've been met with the gospel. They've been met with prayer. They've been met with, you know what? Jesus is bigger than your porn addiction. When did we stop believing that? When did we stop believing that Jesus was bigger than meth and Jesus was bigger than infidelity? Jesus is bigger than that. Amen. Yeah, there's, there's mess to walk through. There's junk to walk through. But Jesus is bigger than this. And man, when I share my, my sin burden, when I confess that, then others confess the truth that Jesus is still Lord. And when somebody confesses something to you, you don't go, whoa, you go, because look, you know your mind, you know what goes on in your mind, so why are we, why are we so appalled when somebody else confesses their sin? So wow, yeah, Jesus is bigger than this, and we confess that. I love the way Regen, the, the, the recovery ministry that's, the start, that's getting started, here, I love how they frame this. They'll say, I am a follower of Christ and I'm struggling with this. I have a new life in Christ and I am recovering from this. Because we don't define ourselves by our sin or by our addiction. We define ourselves as new, as, as new Christians, as, as believers. We define ourselves by our new life in Christ, by our identity in Christ. But we still struggle. And if the church continues to be made up of a group of people, a community of people pretending to have it all together and condemning those outside, then the sun is setting on us. But if we will recover the biblical vision of community, we're a safe place for confession and healing. And if the mature among us would lead the way in that, and will continue to set an example of humility and vulnerability, then the sun is just beginning to rise on what God wants to do among us. So some practicals on confession. Confess your sin quickly and often. Don't let it take root in your life. This morning I was out enjoying the freezing weather. And our, my family's cat, Thunder, came and, uh, and, and, and started licking me for no apparent reason. Licking my toes and my fingers. And I'm, what is this? And I, I just ignored it and ignored it and started nudging me. And I just ignored it and ignored it. And finally, Thunder, out of nowhere, just bit me hard. <laughs> And I share this because you need to know that cats are evil and they have no place in God's kingdom, okay? If you didn't hear anything else, hear that. But two, sin is like this. Sin is like this. You can ignore it. You can ignore it. You can ignore it. But it is going to bite you. It is going to bite you. It's going to get you. Confess quickly, confess often. Confession is not an opportunity. Sometimes we do this. You ever had this happen? You ever done this? Hey, Will, I want to confess to you that I was really upset at you 
when you were such a big jerk to me, and why'd you do that? Hey, that's not confession. That's accusation. That's passive aggressive. Confession isn't about what we'll do. Confession is about, this is log in my eye. Be specific. Don't be vague. What if God's going to heal you to the degree that you name it? Oh, I've got an unspoken thing I'm struggling with. Come on. What, what is that? Am I offending anybody yet? What is that? You don't have to be real with everybody. You don't have to tell everybody everything, but come on for the love. We've got to have somebody in our lives. We've got to have some people in our lives. They're not perfect, but are trustworthy. And that we can say, man, I'm, I'm dealing with this. Be specific. Confession and repentance are not the same thing. Maybe you're good at confession. Maybe you're good at owning your junk. But if you've been owning and confessing the same stuff over and over and over again, but it's not changing, well, what need, what's needed is repentance. Turn from it. Invite those in your life to help you turn from that so that you can experience God's best. Practicing prayer and confession will determine whether the sun is rising or setting in the church. What if, what if we are a people who openly confess our sin and pray for one another. Don't you, I mean, doesn't that sound terrible and wonderful at the same time? What if shame could not keep us in its grip anymore because we were naming the truth about ourselves of our sin, but we were naming the deeper truth about our redemption? Jesus took your sin and my sin upon himself. He made a, a way for your forgiveness. And, and you're healing, and, and he's put fellow travelers in our lives, and so we got to decide, am I going to pretend, or am I going to participate in biblical community? There's this artist named Frank Sinatra, and I think he's going places. I think he's really going to be a star, okay? And I want to read you these words from Sinatra, except pretend that this is your heavenly father speaking to you, okay? Strange, I know, but pretend. The best is yet to come, and won't that be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up is underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come, and won't that be fine? The best is yet to come. Come the day that you're mine. Come the day that you're mine. I'm going to teach you to fly. We've only tasted the one. You're, we're going to drain that cup. Wait till your charms are right for the arms to surround. You think you've flown before, but you ain't even left the ground. Wait till you're locked in my embrace. Wait till I hold you near. Wait till you see that sunshine place. There ain't nothing like it here. The best is yet to come, and won't that be fine? The best is yet to come. Come the day that you're mine. You can hear those words from this humanistic optimism that says, Tomorrow there's unicorns and rainbows, and you're going to set yourself up for failure. You can hear those words from a sense of, well, by March 30th, my problem's going to be solved. And that may not happen. But we can hear these words from hope. Christ has risen. Christ is returning. New creation is coming. The, the king of kings is going to wipe every tear away from every eye. And every day that passes is a day closer to the restoration of all things. And even if things aren't fixed by next week, 
There will be a day when they are, and so the best days are yet to come. So as the band comes close, I know there's some of us in this room that are holding on to unconfessed sin. And I know you think that if you confess what you've done, that some kind of inquisition is going to come cart you away somewhere. But I also think deep down you know better. What if you didn't have to carry that that feeling in the pit of your stomach anymore? What if you didn't have to hang your head anymore? What if a process of restoration could begin? Maybe today there's something you want to confess privately. Or maybe today is the day you commit that I'm going to step into biblical community. There's stuff I've got to unload. Will you invite fellow witnesses into your life? Maybe today's the day that you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you're not. Maybe this is the day that you determine to follow him in baptism or commit to this church family and say, you know what, you guys are crazy, but I want to be part of it. Whatever your decision is, let's stand together, and you're invited to come forward and respond.